Kyiv and Moscow attacked by drones. One politician branded it the worst attack on the capital since World War II. The incident coincided with the latest wave of airstrikes on Kyiv, marking a moment where both capitals were hit on the same day. Plus, the children of Bakhmut. A massive explosion is the only thing I remember. I came to on the floor. There was dust everywhere and a strong smell of gunpowder. I turned and crawled to my nephew to ask something, but he couldn't speak. And later in the program, the war finds its way into international sports competition. Today is Tuesday, May 30th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. The third Russian attack on Kyiv in 24 hours leaves one person dead, as drones also target Moscow. The AP's Lawrence Brooks reports. Russia has launched a pre-dawn air raid on Ukraine's capital, killing at least one person. It sent Kyiv's residents again scrambling into shelters to escape a relentless wave of daylight and nighttime bombardments. Before daylight, the buzzing of drones can be heard above the city, followed by loud explosions as they were taken down by air defence systems. Early information from the Kyiv military administration says air defence forces destroyed at least 20 Shahed explosive drones in the city's airspace. It's Russia's third attack on the capital in the past 24 hours. Meanwhile, in Moscow, residents there have reported hearing explosions and the defence ministry says eight drones had been fired at the city. Moscow calls it a terrorist attack by the Kyiv regime. It said five drones had been shot down and the systems of three were jammed, causing them to veer off course. Ukraine hasn't commented on the Moscow attack, which would be one of its deepest strikes into Russia since the invasion began. I'm Lawrence Brooks. As we've heard, both Moscow and Kyiv were attacked by drones. Reuters' Fiona Jones has more. Russia says that Ukraine launched its biggest ever drone attack on Moscow on Tuesday. But all eight drones were destroyed by its air defences. One politician branded it the worst attack on the capital since World War II. The incident coincided with the latest wave of airstrikes on Kyiv, marking a moment where both capitals were hit on the same day. Some of Moscow's most prestigious areas were reportedly hit by drone debris, including Leninsky Prospect, a grand avenue crafted under Joseph Stalin, and an elite area of western Moscow, where President Vladimir Putin has a residence. The capital's mayor said two people were injured and one hospitalised in the early morning attack. A Ukrainian official denied Kyiv's involvement in the Moscow attack but said Ukraine was enjoying watching the strike and forecast more to come. Across the border, Kyiv was hit on Tuesday for the third time in 24 hours and for the 17th time in May. Ukrainian defence forces said they shot down more than 20 Iranian-made Shahed drones. Kyiv's mayor, Vitaly Klitschko, responded to the attack. Putin need Ukraine without Ukrainians. It's terrorism. It's uh, everyone, yes, of course, uh, worry about that. And uh, Russians want to bring depression to our people. Instead, depression, people very angry. Officials said at least one person died and others were injured when debris from a destroyed Russian projectile hit a high-rise apartment building, 
causing a fire. Ukraine is promising a counteroffensive backed with Western weapons to try to drive Russian occupiers from seized territory. Moscow says it is open to resuming stalled peace talks with Kiev and has welcomed mediation efforts from Brazil and China. But Kiev insists full withdrawal of Russian troops is the only way to end the war. That's Reuters Fiona Jones reporting. Russian President Vladimir Putin said on Tuesday that the biggest ever drone strike on Moscow was an attempt to scare and provoke Russia and air defenses around the capital would be strengthened. Russia said eight Ukrainian drones targeted civilian areas of Moscow and the Moscow region with a population of more than 21 million in the early hours of Tuesday, but were either shot down or diverted with special electronic jammers. Ukraine did not comment. Putin cast the assault, which brought the 15-month conflict in Ukraine to the heart of Russia, as a terrorist response that came after Russia struck at Ukraine's military intelligence headquarters several days ago. Ukraine, Putin said, had chosen the path of attempting to intimidate Russia, Russian citizens, and attacks on residential buildings. This is clearly a sign of terrorist activity, he said. Meanwhile, Mayor Vitaly Klitschko of Kyiv said that Russia's attacks on his city are tantamount to genocide. Tonight, is, uh, 12 people have injuries, one people uh, uh, killed uh, from attack last night, and uh, last two days is attack number four. Almost every day we receive the attack from missiles, uh, kamikaze drones, Oh, hometown. It's more, uh, almost 800 buildings destroyed, 417 more than 117. It's last information. Uh, more than 400 buildings, uh, apartments buildings destroyed. It's, uh, it's killed more than 160 people. It's five children. It's, <clears throat> it's terror. It's genocide. And speaking of drones, some Ukrainian tech entrepreneurs have reconfigured and reformed their business to develop and manufacture drones for the Ukrainian armed forces. Reuters' Rachel Graham has their story. Eugene Nashtetik and his five co-workers shuttered their company developing medical and biotech startups to join Ukraine's defense forces days after Russia invaded. Within weeks, their commanders agreed they should instead use their expertise on technical projects to help the war. With the government's blessing, Neshtetik and his team of engineers moved to neighbouring Poland, where they raised initial funding from a Polish company to develop a new drone. The Defender drone is now in the final stage of testing and slated for production within a month. It is designed to withstand strong winds to enable surveillance in bad weather, can fly, take off and land vertically and also carry relatively big payloads, says Neshtetik. It combines electronic uh, warfare resistance, wind resistance, and all, uh, obviously it's dedicated to signal intelligence. And uh, uh, because of its uh, flying capabilities, uh, the radio horizon, the uh, maximum range of signal intelligence is uh, about 250 kilometers. So uh, actually right now you don't have any one, any single drone with uh, this combination of capabilities in uh, uh, the weight uh, under uh, 25 kilos. The initial plan is to produce 200 units, 
which will be delivered to the Ukrainian army and used on the battlefield. Though Nishtetek said they have also received inquiries from other European countries, the US and Turkey. Nishtetek's company Radiobird is one example of how some startups in Ukraine's dynamic tech sector are switching to pursue military projects. Before Russia's invasion, Ukraine represented one of the fastest-growing tech hubs in Central and Eastern Europe. That's Reuters' Rachel Graham reporting. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. After another night of attacks on the Ukrainian capital and news of the attacks on Moscow, we turn to Anna Chernikova for the latest on the mood in Kyiv. Another attack, uh, it's third night in a row for, for Kyiv particularly, uh, and uh, actually it was the third attack uh, in 24 hours. So uh, the city of Kyiv yesterday uh, survived a day of attacks. Uh, it was night attack, then day attack, and then another night attack. What we know for the moment, uh, actually... What was different, let's say, from this attack, uh, it, it was quite a lot of damages. Uh, for the moment, we know that there are damages in different districts, uh, but uh, the most, uh, but the biggest damage happened in my district. Actually, uh, it was a residential building that suffered uh, fire and. Uh, and d- debris heat. The part of the debris part was quite big, uh, according to the footage that we can see from the damages. So a lot of cars parked next to the residential building were destroyed, and a um, couple of a uh, couple of floors on the top of the building as well. Uh, unfortunately, one uh, one um, one woman was killed during this attack. Uh, in addition, 11 people were injured and five were hospitalized. Now, we also know that Moscow was targeted in a drone attack as well. And as is normal after Russia is attacked, Ukrainian authorities typically don't say much of anything. Has there been any official reaction from Kyiv or what's the popular reaction amongst uh, people in the city about Moscow being attacked? Um, well, for the moment, we know that... Uh, this is actually the truth that Russia, that Moscow was attacked. There are a lot of information, uh, various information regarding the amount of the drones that were used. Um, so some uh, some Russian sources say that there were eight drones. Some Russian sources say that uh, there were twenty or more. So. Of course, we cannot verify this information and we cannot, uh, well, get exact information for the moment uh, and details. But how it looks, uh, well, uh, inside Ukraine, to be honest, well, people are quite happy about this event and not because people suffered or, you know, not because uh, uh, there are damages, but just because uh, Russian citizens experienced uh, something that Ukrainians experience every night for the past months and uh, and even in some areas more. So uh, in general, I can say that people descri- discuss this event with quite, you know, Mm, with certain positive attitude, uh, but again, uh, not evil attitude uh, to to make it clear and to put it correctly. But uh, of course, uh, you know, this kind of events like drone attacks, like uh, things happening inside of Russia with these Russian military groups, uh, 
doing certain actions in in certain areas, uh, this creates certain you know feeling of uh, destruction of Russian uh, Russian forces and Russian um, Russian media um, uh, media environment from the upcoming counter offensives that Ukrainians are about to get deeper into. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk about the counteroffensive. With the drone attacks in Moscow, with the drone attack over the Kremlin a few weeks ago, with the um, incursion into Bulgarod, has the counteroffensive started? Or are we seeing what's laying the groundwork for that counteroffensive to be more successful? Um, again, we cannot, you know, um, analyze official statements, but definitely, as we all remember, uh, previous counteroffensives that were happening in, in Ukraine that were implemented by the Ukrainian uh, armed forces, um, it was n- there were no comments for for months uh, about anything, and then we just got certain details out. Uh, and this is the feeling right now here in Ukraine as well. So uh, Ukrainian authorities and military do not really comment anything in terms of counteroffensive. Uh, the only official message from every authority organization, either it's a president office or uh, or parliament or uh, military, Ukrainian military, uh, would be that counteroffensive is soon to start. But there is a feeling that something is already happening. Again, this is my personal feeling and uh, I do not have any verification or any details to prove this feeling. But um, my feeling is based on the experience of previous counteroffensive. So, and uh, I had a chance to talk to some people involved in the military uh, actions and uh, um, they are telling that a lot of people are actually at training. Some people are changing their location as well. So uh, it is a feeling that something is happening and it might be that certain actions of counteroffensive has already started, but this is what the military is saying, that, that we should not expect like an intensive and fast result, but it will be a very um, step-by-step uh, actions uh, that will lead to certain results that we will see uh, in the nearest future or like sooner or later. Well, we'll certainly stay in touch and keep tuned for uh, more details. Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, as always, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Steve. More than 4,400 structures have been destroyed in Bakhmut, where the most active fighting in Ukraine has been. Yet some locals, including a few children, remain in the city. Since February, 320 children have been evacuated from Bakhmut and surrounding towns. Omnilano Shudliak has one 16-year-old story. 16-year-old Makita Brozhal was born lucky. At least that's what doctors in Lviv, Ukraine say. It's not scary when you get injured. It hurts, but it's not scary. What's scary is when someone is killed next to you and you can't help. That's scary. More than 4,400 structures have been destroyed in Bakhmut, a key battleground in Russia's invasion against Ukraine. Since February, 320 children have been evacuated from the city and its surrounds. 
On December 31, 2022, Makita and his 14-year-old nephew were bringing water to sellers at a local market. A massive explosion is the only thing I remember. I came to on the floor. There was dust everywhere and a strong smell of gunpowder. I turned and crawled to my nephew to ask something, but he couldn't speak. His nephew didn't make it, but Makita, along with his mother and sister, was brought to Lviv on an evacuation train three days after his injury. Here we are, kids. Can we walk? Yes, but very slowly. The teen had six shell fragments in his body, one lodged deep in his chest. It's five centimeters away from his heart. It's tough. He can't move, cough or turn. He can't do anything. The fragment shattered his ribs, crushed his left shoulder blade, entered the chest, damaging the upper lobe of the left lung, and got stuck between two major vessels. Surgeon Alexander Kalinchuk was among the first to see Mikita at the hospital. The fragment is about three centimeters in size. Cardiac surgeons were on standby in the operating room in case of massive bleeding. But the surgery went well. The shell fragment was successfully removed. The foreign object has been removed. The boy was born lucky. Makita had several more surgeries to remove other shell fragments, followed by months of rehabilitation. When shelling became a frequent thing, I had been under fire for many times. We were riding bicycles, for instance, and a bomb fell literally 15 meters ahead of us. We got covered in mud, but we were alive. Now that he is better, Makita plans to complete auto-mechanic training that he had started before the war. And when the time comes, he'll return to his native Bakhmut. Omalyanos Chudlyak for VOA News, Lviv, Ukraine. The worlds of international politics and international sports collided in Paris when a Ukrainian competitor in the French Open tennis tournament would not shake hands with her Belarusian opponent. I'm joined by VOA's Sonny Young for the details. Well, Steve, as we speak, the year's second major tennis tournament, the French Open, is underway, early round action in Paris and on the clay courts at Roland Garros. A Ukrainian player, uh, uh, Marta Kostyuk, uh, went up against uh, a very top-ranked uh, player from Belarus, Arena Sabalenka, in her opening match. Tennis etiquette usually has the players shaking hands at the net at the end of the match, and Kostyuk decided that she was going to uh, ignore Sabalenka uh, because of the war in Ukraine, and uh as a result, the, uh, there was a lot of controversy in that the uh, fans in Paris actually booed uh, Kostyuk rather than uh, Sabalenka. Uh, Sabalenka was not sure if the boos were directed to her, but uh, it, it, was, it was not a good way to start the tournament. <laughs> Has there been any reaction from tournament officials? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I know that... Uh, Sabalenka has said that she is aware that Ukrainian players uh, will protest during matches. Uh, uh, apparently, this is not the first time it's happened to her. 
Uh, she, she has said that she's aware that Kostyuk and other Ukrainian players have been declining to greet or, you know, uh, acknowledge uh, players from Ukraine. In fact, didn't Sabalenka even say that she expected that? She wasn't surprised. Yeah, she did say that. Uh, I, I think it, it was unclear to her whether uh, the fans initially were booing her or uh, the Ukrainian player, Kostyuk. Uh, who uh, I was reading the reports ahead of the match that Kostyuk was uh, scrolling through her phone and she had uh, read news uh, right before the match uh, of some violence uh, in Ukraine, in Kiev, uh, where her father and grandfather live. And uh, that was upsetting to her. So that I think it probably reinforced her, you know, her protest at the end of the match. I mean, it's understandable to carry that emotion into a game, but is there any penalty in the world of tennis for not abiding by these uh, traditions? Uh, good question, Steve. Uh, as far as I know, she has not been fined, uh, Kostyuk, uh, after this incident. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see more of these uh, during the tournament, uh, but getting back to... Uh, 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 Sabalenka, she, she's ranked number two in the world, reigning Australian Open champion, uh, excellent player. Uh, she's going to carry on in, in Paris after this. Well, there's no reason why she wouldn't. In fact, didn't Sabalenka at the press conference come pretty close without explicitly condemning the war? She did. Uh, and I don't know that uh, Kostyuk uh, took her explanation at heart. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Sabalenka said that uh, she opposes the war in Ukraine and uh, Kostyuk came out afterwards when she found out what she said, that she wanted a more vocal stance from uh, Sabalenka, that she needs to say, I personally oppose the war in Ukraine. But she said that she hasn't come out like that uh, in her previous you know, competitions. Now, this clearly isn't the first time in the history of tennis or international sports that players from countries at war with each other have faced each other. Is this sort of thing, no handshakes, poor sportsmanship, backhanded comments before and after matches, is this sort of thing common in international sports when the players' countries are at war? I think it is, Steve. Uh, you know, I, I look back to uh, ju just at uh, before the before the French Open, uh, uh, Djokovic, who could very well win the men's title in Paris, uh, the great Serbian player. Uh, he got very upset during a match just prior to the uh, 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 French Open, where he thought that uh, the American player he was going up against was showing uh, j just unsportsmanlike conduct on the court. He, he was uh, demonstrating after every winning shot, you know, uh, making vocal, you know, here we go now. And he, he was very loud and Djokovic thought he was way out of hand. Uh, I think back to players like uh, John McEnroe, uh, who, who had his temper tantrums on the court. Uh, but I, I think the, the, the emotions now are, are even more heated because of the war in Ukraine and uh, that I, I see players like Kostyuk and, and other Ukrainian players uh, continuing these, these type of protests. 
We'll have to stay tuned for the rest of the French Open and uh, other tennis tournaments to come. Sonny Young, host of the Sunny Side of Sports on VOA, VOA's sports expert. Sonny, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Steve. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. This is the voice of America, Washington, Papa, Zip, D.C.